Welcome to Redesigning High School. My name is Terry DeBeau. I am the Director of Special Projects at Hawken. And I am Julia Griffin, and I'm the Director of the Mastery School of Hawken. Julia, we have people watching us, which is very strange. It's very exciting. This is way more exciting than the way we usually record. We are usually in a little booth, staring at each other across the microphones, uh, and now we have people, but I will try not to look at them because that's intimidating. (laughs) So uh, usually we start our show by doing a little recap of the best and the worst of the week, Um, but clearly this is the best of the week. We have people here to talk about the Mastery School of Hawken and to hear about it, and we've got a bunch of people here that I just want to quickly introduce and then you'll hear from them. Um, we have Rose Kerr and Luke Kim, who are Hawkins students, who are in the engineering class. Um, and we have Katie McGregor from United Cerebral Palsy. Um, and we have Julia Hodges, who is a member of the design team and the faculty member at Hawkins. So um, those are the people. Uh, let's get to the topic. Yeah. So as many of you probably know, Hawken has offered what we call macros for the last seven years or so. And macros are really what the, one of the core building blocks of the academic experience that students at the Mastery School will have. Um, so we thought it was worth breaking it down a little bit um, and having some people here who can speak to what a macro is really like um, from the inside. So Julia Hodges, can we start with you? Um, How did you end up teaching this class, and what is it that you most want students to get out of it? Sure. Uh, So my background is in aerospace engineering. That's what I majored in and worked in briefly um, right out of college before deciding that I really was passionate about teaching. Um, And when I was there, actually, like, starting as an engineer right out of college, uh, we were sort of taken into this uh, training program at GE where the senior engineers really basically told us, your engineering degrees have not prepared you to be successful engineers. You are answer getters, not problem solvers. And now we have to dedicate a bunch of time to unteaching you and reteaching you how to actually do engineering. Um, and that really stuck with me when I transitioned into teaching. And so the, the sort of project-based approach has always a- appealed to me as a much better way to, to avoid the answer getting and focus on the problem solving. Um, so when I came to Hawken, I started in the math department, and when they were looking to sort of expand the offering of macros from the initial uh, entrepreneurship program, I jumped on the opportunity saying, like, engineering would be perfect for this, um, pitched it, it was accepted, and I've been teaching it for the last two years as a full course, three years as sort of a pilot program. Um, so that's uh, it's been a very exciting thing. We've had a chance to uh, visit it. If you go to our website, you can see a video about one of the engineering projects. Um, so can you talk a little bit about um, what you want students to get out of the of the course? Yeah. So um, as this is currently offered to students at the upper school as as sort of an elective in their junior and senior years, and so the the focus really is on sort of breaking them out of the traditional class structure and introducing them to real problems for real people in the community or real engineers that nobody has figured out, like there isn't a right answer in the back of the book and they have to work together on teams to go through a sometimes very frustrating process of finding a solution to something that doesn't have sort of a predetermined solution Um, and doing that through prototyping and testing and failing and iterating and research and you know, sort of this ongoing process of trying to figure out what works and be able to sort of justify that it is actually a better solution than some of these alternatives that were placed in front of you. Yeah. So I guess that gets us to Katie McGregor, who from United Cerebral Palsy. Um, so Katie, you've worked with Julia several times, I believe. 
Yes. Yes. Okay. So uh, this is not a. It feels like a congressional uh, hearing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> insert comment here. Um, but uh, so, can you talk a little bit about the most recent project you had? Uh, you posed to the most recent challenge you posed to the students, and what you're hoping they might get out of it. Yes. So I'm an occupational therapist at United Cerebral Palsy, and um, we work with many kids with uh, various um, disabilities. And the most recent one was a kiddo that had uh, arthrogryposis, and he was adopted from, I think it was China, but he has an, um, two older siblings. And arthrogryposis, your arms are kind of stuck in this position, and you can't really grasp things. And he really wanted to, like, fight with his brother, like a normal, you know, <laughs> typical child. Um, so he wanted to have, like, a Nerf gun war. But he doesn't have, like, the grasp that a typical person does, and he doesn't have the arm control. So we kind of posed that problem to the, ch to the kids at Hawken and tried – to have them figure out a way for him to access a regular Nerf gun um, based on his disability and the way that he can move his body. So. so can you talk a little bit about what it was like to work with the Hawkins students and uh, what, what's that whole process like to have this challenge and hand it over to some high school students? It's interesting and it's exciting because, um, you know, most of the kids really haven't ever seen a kid with a disability before or um, maybe have had minimal exposure. So I think that is exciting in itself that they can um, kind of interact and see kids that have different abilities. Um, and it was very interesting when they would come, when I met with them the first time, their initial thoughts of what they thought their project or what their um, outcome, uh, what, what is it, the prototype or whatever yeah. is, I don't know, like the engineering <laughs> terms, their prototype um, was going to look like. And in talking with them and giving them feedback, it was it was just kind of interesting to see like that whole process because we always have problems and we don't necessarily know how to come to that end solution. Um, and maybe when we find that end solution, we don't know what what went on during that whole phase. So I think it was really cool to interact with the kids and give them feedback. And they really took that feedback and changed things that weren't working or um, maybe they didn't anticipate was going to be a problem. So it was, it was a very cool experience, I think, coming from the other, the other end. That's terrific. Um, so I want to turn to Rose and Luke from the student perspective for a minute. So what is it like as a student to get a challenge like the one from UCP? And what kind of process do you have to go through to come up with a solution? Luke, do you, would, you, would you start? Mm -hmm. um, so going into the engineering course, uh, the United Cerebral Palsy project was my first one. And uh, before the project, my idea of what engineering was and what they what engineers did was uh, very different than what they actually are. Uh, my my idea was that you know they just make things that um, people have design ideas for and just make it happen. But um, what I learned was it's more about you know solving problems and uh, taking more into account what the entire problem is and not just diving into saying okay this is my first idea let's do this and. Uh, we'll just see how it works out, but actually going through the process of what is the actual problem, what needs to be addressed, and how can we do that from then, and then get our final project product. And Rose, what about you? Uh, so similar to Luke, I also came into this course, um, that of which I'm still taking at the moment. 
Um, I also came into the course thinking that engineering was something different than it actually is. And um, as someone who worked with the most recent ECP project, um, the there isn't only one solution. There are so many solutions that are possible that can fill out all of your criteria. Um, an example of this is um, in my class when we um, worked with uh, kids at UCP is um, a lot of people who say, oh, let's give a child a water toy would first think of, let's switch adapt a water gun. Um, and whereas it is definitely a solution that's one of the first that comes to mind and it's fairly simple, might not cater to all audiences. So my team decided, let's go a different route and make something that's exponentially harder. <laughs> um, and um, granted, we did make um, a water balloon catapult, but um, it was definitely um, a bit of a process to go through. How can we make sure that this works for kids with a range of abilities for them to all be able to use this product? So. Rose, building on that, and I remember that water balloon catapult, which was quite something. Um, can you, uh, thinking about that challenge or any others, can you speak to what kinds of things you've learned in this course that you can imagine you could be useful to you as you, after this course? Uh, yeah, so definitely um, learning different types of writing is one of them. Um, you know, in your generic English course, we typically write a number of long essay papers that are argumentative. Um, but in this engineering course, we do more technical writing where you just explain, here's how this works and what does it do um, in very simple terms. And um, another thing that I learned is also a lot of CAD modeling. So within this work, within this um, course, we work with a lot of digital simulation, mostly using the software from Autodesk called Fusion 360. So we learn how to work with that software and build 3D design simulations to see realistically, would this product actually work if I already be able to build this in real life? That's terrific. And didn't didn't you also, in the course of that UCP challenge, teach yourself to code? I perhaps learned how to code an entire Arduino in less than a week. That's what I thought. OK, that could be useful somewhere, too. Yeah. Perhaps, yeah. Nice. Somewhere. <laughs> um, so Luke, uh, slightly different question for you. If you're thinking about the course, um, which you took last year, uh, what would you say was the your favorite and least favorite parts of the engineering class? And um, be honest <laughs> about both. <laughs> For sure. Um, so what what Rose said first about the the writing. So if I'm being completely honest, you know, when I heard I was going to be in the engineering program, um, you know, writing and pre presenting is not my uh, strengths. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, I guess you know this is a class where I don't have to do too much of that. Um, but in uh -huh. fact, <laughs> this was uh, the class where I've done the most presenting and most writing I have in any other class I've done. Um, and it was it was very challenging, but I think it's also one of uh, the things that I most value from that experience was um, for all those challenging things, that's where I grew the most personally and in my skills. Um, and I think, you know, for my favorite part, just having the challenge in general, whether they're um, complex problems that we need to solve or um, working on skills that we are not the best at, yeah. Thanks. Um, so Julia, I wanna come back around to you for a minute because I think that uh, there are a lot of layers of what happens in a macro and there is for sure the, the teaching of collaboration and creative problem solving and we have some pretty 
highly developed ways at this point that we do that. But also there are times within challenges where students need to learn some really difficult academic content too. And I wonder if you could speak to an example of when a time when something like that happened. Yeah, so um, it obviously varies from semester to semester and challenge to challenge, depending on who we're working with and what problems the kids are trying to solve. Um, I'm sure there are examples that Luke and Rose could speak to, but one of the semesters um, that neither of them were in, we worked with a um, an engineering and architecture firm uh, called Bialoski Cleveland that presented to the kids a, a new building that they were designing, um, sort of like a community health center. Um, and they they basically do like the HVAC and the electrical work for that. And so, you know, they presented the kids, maybe not quite as exciting, but like a very real engineering challenge of like, how, how do you design like the HVAC system that nobody ever thinks about for a building? Um, and so all the teams in that challenge really had to grapple with actually some, some pretty intense, uh, math and physics of understanding, you know, the basics of like heat transfer and how it comes in through the windows and the walls in different seasons and how the heating load is distributed as the sun moves across the building over the course of a day and how it moves from, you know, room to room inside the building, whether it's, uh, you know, an external room or an internal room, whether it's full of people or full of computers, um, and actually having to try to like make the make the assumptions and model that process for an entire building and then add on to that, okay, what are, you know, sort of the ventilation standards and how do we figure out how much air needs to be moving in and out of rooms at any given time on any given day to meet, you know, building codes um, was a lot of <laughs> really intense <clears throat> spreadsheets and um, some some headachey math that they you know had to really wrestle with. Well, you know we could go on forever about the, this macro and other macros, but we want to make sure that uh, you guys in the audience have a chance to ask any questions you might have. So uh, we put a microphone up there. If you have a question, uh, be brave. Do the presentation that Luke uh, learned how to do, and uh, <laughs> and uh, ask away. I I want to. I, I'm making an assumption, but I want to check if that's true. That macros, um, things like writing literature is needed are embedded within them, so that instead of taking a separate class for that, each macro involves those qualities, right? So uh, each each macro definitely involves writing, and maybe Rose and Luke are probably thinking about their design reports that they've written. Uh, many, not all of them, involve literature. I think that we, uh, so for instance, in the PhD class, the Physics, Humanities, and Design class this fall, uh, students read um, August Wilson's play Fences while they were working on a challenge that was related to, uh, that was a challenge with an architect um, and that involved history of neighborhoods in Cleveland. Um, but uh, but so if that works with a challenge, then we'll do it. And if it doesn't, we won't um, force it. And that's where then literature comes into play in other places in micros and things like that. Yeah, one of the things that's interesting, again, as a bystander to see is that you know writing is um, actually an applied art, right? There are different <laughs> kinds of writing in different kinds of audiences. Um, but in school, we kind of treat everyone like they're uh, preparing for their PhD uh, in English literature. Uh, and so... Create, opening up the writing art um, to different kind to different forms and different purposes can be really powerful. So um, I think that's uh, that's well noted. Do you have another question? Yeah, if you could speak yeah, to the mic, would be great. A, just more about like the math side of things. So how does this interact or work together with whatever their kids are doing math? If you have to do some 
work at, to design something, but you need certain set of math skills, you maybe you don't have it, or where does that come from? And how's that work? Yeah, so I think um, it's going to be, at least in the way that the engineering course is structured right now, is sort of a part of the upper school ecosystem. It's it's very much, you know, they're, they're still all in math classes, and they're all in different places with that. But um, as they sort of come across, you know, math that they need to solve their given problem, which may be different for different groups of students working on the same problem, um, they're definitely, you know, they're, they're learning how to teach themselves those skills as opposed to me standing up and saying like, all right, today we're all gonna do a bunch of trigonometry. Um, unless it's, you know, for the, for the bridge challenge in which we actually did do a little bit of, <laughs> a little bit of like, okay, everybody needs to it's understand It's physics this. time. Yeah. <laughs> um, physics and math, but they're, you know, any, any math that they're doing is in the context of. I, I need it because I'm understanding this problem. Um, and again, it, it's sort of an interesting, I think, because this is offered to upperclassmen at the upper school, but it's really an introductory macro. So it's sort of an interesting balance of like, really the focus is a little bit on this sort of like de-schooling process and learning how to solve problems. Whereas, um, you know, I think like going into the mastery school as a progression of these will allow a, a lot more time to get sort of deeper and deeper into the the academic content with less focus on on the problem solving that needs to be done up front. That sort of question. Agreed. And I would say um, I think that the the focus on data-driven decision making and on doing the modeling you need to do in order to support the decisions that you're making is very much was one of an applied math approach. And then at times certain teams will end up needing to delve into fields of actually like pretty advanced math in order to do uh, the work that their team is doing on the particular challenge. I'm thinking of being in a share out a couple weeks ago with one team that needed to go into, is it operations research? That's like a super arcane branch of mathematics where you can get like a graduate degree in that. And this team had to get into the operations research in order to figure out um, the ideal streamlining of uh, the traffic in the lunch line at lunch. Um, so uh, there's, there's, there was a real need to know there. It was a problem that felt real and urgent for, for them. You know, at the risk of butchering Zach's great phrase, doesn't he say like uh, it's not about finding finding places to put math; it's it's identifying where the math is in every in every problem and every challenge. Um, and uh, and you know, for someone who didn't go through a mastery school, I don't see math anywhere. But turns out there's <laughs> math everywhere. Uh, so, um, are there any uh, we have? Okay. Um, so you address kind of math in the problem solving and and English. What about the softer skills, especially if you're looking at a ninth grader of like teamwork and what kind of adult mentoring and supervision is it for kids who are still learning to work together? Do you want to start this one or do you want me to? Uh, I guess you can go ahead because you sure. worked with the ninth graders. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say we may be over, uh, we may be overcompensating and trying to emphasize some of the, more, the academic content that happens, but absolutely without question, the most foundational work that happens in a macro, especially the first one that a student takes. And I'm going to look to Rose and uh, Luke to affirm this if this is true and don't if it isn't. Really, I mean it. But the um, one of the single most important and hardest things that students learn, and we do it through a really deliberate and structured process, is how to collaborate on a team um, and how to collaborate with people who have different ideas from you. Because when you have four people on a team, um, you're going to have four ideas for many things. And we say very explicitly to students, would it be easier to decide what to do if you had one person or four people? And they're like, oh, it's way easier if you have one person. Um, but why does it matter? Why is it actually helpful to have four people? And of course, the answer is you come up with things that are 
better and you get four ideas to pick from and the process of how you do that is not easy but one that's super applicable to anything they're going to do afterward um, since we all know in the world you actually have to be able to collaborate with a group of people that you didn't pick um, and in order to try to achieve a goal. Um, so we have really structured processes for how we do that. And then students get to work on one team for about three weeks. And then they reflect, they process, they share feedback, and then they get to move on um, and have a different team. So by the end of a semester, students have worked with a number of different people and had uh, lots of sort of coaching and support and guidance as needed from their teachers. And Julia Hodges has a fantastic blog post about this, by the way, if you want to read more. Yes. I was going to say, I was just going to jump in really quickly to say, like, especially in that, in the, like, structuring process, it's not, I think, what people typically think of when they, when they think yes. of, like, structuring the collaborative process. Like, we do not assign them roles. We say, here is your team, and let them work together, and then are sort of there providing support on the sidelines for when things inevitably don't go well, and they get really frustrated as a team, because if, if you... I think structure their process too tightly, then they don't actually learn how to collaborate. I don't know if you guys will agree with that, but you know, mm -hmm. being there to provide support from the outside and, and letting them figure it out, which is what you really have to do is, is the approach that we take. Um, I'd like to ask the students, how much of what you learn, let's say in math, physics, do you teach yourselves and how much is taught to you by the teacher? The only thing we really have is here's a, here's a problem, here's a challenge, and then our job is to um, solve it. And you know, our teachers are a resource to help us through that process, and we all have different ways of, of solving that problem. And so for everyone, it's different. And for the most part, it's um, we, do, we do as much as we can, and we have the resources of our teachers um, to help us through whatever problems we encounter. And then, like, you know, every once in a while, I remember, like, maybe once throughout the year, we had everyone do, like, the same kind of math problems. But other than that, it was mainly just if you come across something and you need extra help with that, you have the teacher as a, as a resource. I mean, I think one of the really important elements to this method is that the learning happens most when it's in context and it's needed, right? And so um, sometimes that happens at different times during a particular challenge for different students who are working on parts of it. So it is a, it is a paradigm shift. Um, but uh, from what I've witnessed and heard, uh, certainly the depth of learning um, is pretty impressive. Um, and there's a lot of choice and voice in that. I would just add that I think um, the, the way that the methods of teaching that Julia Hodges uses in this class and that other teachers use in macros are highly developed and if they're working well are mostly invisible to the students as they're taking the class. So when there's a lot of structure, it is structure that's underneath um, the surface. And so as a student, it feels to you like, oh, we just had, we got this challenge and then three weeks later we had to present a solution when in fact, <laughs> what's happening along the way in all kinds of subtle and sometimes personalized to a particular team or for the benefit of a particular student ways is that the, um, the teaching is happening, but it is much more uh, invisible, I would say. Do we have another question? Hi. This is my first my wife told me to show up, so I'm here. So. <laughs> I know nothing. I understand so I that may feeling. Be throwing some Go for crazy it. Crazy questions out here, but I got two questions. One, and this may be maybe you've answered in, in part already with the first question, but I know when you're trying to get into a college, there are certain tests that you're being tested on, 
that I'm not quite understanding how these students are, you know, making sure that they have those baseline things that we know they're going to be tested on. It seems like they could be, be mm -hmm. learning things that are either above what they're going to be tested on or not get. So that's one question. And then two, is this the school building? Is this one of the, is this the yeah. classroom? Is this the, Welcome to the Mastery School. Is this the, yes. <laughs> is this the campus? The yes. two buildings that I'm yes. that they're for. Okay. Yeah. Yes, those are great questions. So to the second one, yes, this is in fact the Mastery School campus. It'll be, it's laid out right now, sort of open house style, but eventually we'll have more furniture um, and it'll be a little clearer how it would look as an academic space with students and teachers. <laughs> um, and we own a number of buildings around the, along the street, but for the first year, we anticipate that this one and the building across the street will be where school happens. Um, and then to the question about the test taking, yet yeah, right, you are right on that there are certain specific concepts and things that a student needs to know in order to do well on standardized tests. And we're very aware of that. Um, what I think research has shown is that you need two things in order to be able to do well in a standardized test. Ideally, you need the actual underpinning of the conceptual understanding of how the, how the mathematical concepts work, and you need the sort of test-taking strategies. So the way we are designing our program is such that students learn certain math concepts, and for example, in applied settings, like the ones we're talking about here in the engineering class. And then there are other ones that you just have to know that you learn in that time that we call micros. Um, so those smaller, more individual and small group um, learning opportunities, because each student is usually in a different place in their math progression. And that part is a little bit more um, customized to the student and where they are. And then at certain times of year, many students will choose to do some test prep during their micros as well, which is much more about kind of playing the game of test taking. So learning how to actually take the test, which is a big part of what it takes to do well on a standardized test. Which I would also say already happens. Like having yes. taught math for several years, you know, we, we covered the content that's going to be on the SAT and ACT and kids still need to go and do that additional test prep because taught in sort of that traditional way of here is an example, please repeat, please take tests, doesn't actually teach them that. I mean, part of like doing well in a standardized test is just actually practicing taking standardized tests. Um, and the other part of it is actually having sort of that, that base level, like mathematical thinking skills and sort of number sense that I actually think that the work through the macros and having to work on certain math concepts in an applied sense gives you a much deeper understanding of. If you, if you want a little more on this, we just published a white paper about mastery learning in college. And one of the things that I, I, I found out is, um, well, I, two major points. Uh, the ACT and the SAT are primarily skill-based tests. Right? There are certain skills that you need to have in order to succeed on those tests. And um, so not as much as uh, you know having a deep well of the exact content that's going to be on those particular tests. And the other is that the traditional model of school does a pretty lousy job preparing students to succeed on those tests. Um, those tests are primarily for sorting students. And so if the mean score is a 20 out of 36 on the ACT, and most students are coming out of a traditional school, it's kind of telling you that you know going to your algebra class and your algebra two class may not be be doing exactly what you think it's doing. Um, so uh, it is a complicated question, but uh, the, when we, as we design the school, um, those ideas are certainly part of uh, what we're thinking about. Do we have any other questions? Uh, quick question. I wanted to know, uh, through the coursework that you guys have, how much actually goes home with the students? How much are they actually doing off campus? Yeah. 
It's a great question. I think students should be the first one to answer it. Yeah, so the question is, <laughs> how much how much work are you doing outside of, outside of yeah, school? A, a, fa a fair amount uh, is a short answer. Um, so with the way that the macro courses are structured right now at Hawkins Gates Mills campus, um, students like Luke and I, we do have to take our other courses at the same time. Um, and so the engineering course, as it's structured right now, does carry over for three honors credits in English, math, and science. So you do have to take a fair amount of work home to cover about the equal amount of work that would be done in those classes individually. So a lot of the work that happens at home includes preparing for the number of presentations you have to do, a lot of technical writing for both on um, papers and reflections from individual presentations or from maybe a field trip that we did that day or um, some other smaller things like here's a lesson on how to use um, a CAD modeling software. Um, so it's a lot of stuff like that, um, including doing more research for your actual team project and making sure that you do communicate with your group members when you're off campus. Can I ask actually, and then you can also say whatever you wanted to say to the first question, how is the homework different from homework in other classes? Would you say, would you say it's different from your homework in other classes or in a traditional it's, semester? It's and if different. so, how is it? Um, I, I would say it's certainly different. Um, and uh, I would say the most notable way how it's different is that um, in comparison to my um, math and language courses that I'm taking separately, um, those homework problems tend to be, here's question one, answer this question. Here's question two, answer this question. Whereas homework for engineering might be um, do some research on this somewhat vague topic and maybe try and make it a little bit more specific and slightly more feasible for the application of your project. Um, or watch this video, reflect on how it can help you um, both in this project and your personal growth as a student and as a person. Yeah, I completely agree with Rose. And I think um, one of the things I learned too was that there, I have a lot more access to resources um, than I thought I did. Like for any normal class, you know, for homework, if you have answer problem one, answer problem two, or even if you have a more open-ended where it's a project, for the most part, you're probably just going to stay within, you know, maybe a partner or two and, you know, the internet. But, you know, when, when we're doing um, these type of projects, we're, you know, going on interviewing people or, you know, doing our own kind of more specific research. And so um, that was kind of the difference that I saw when I was doing like, you know, homework or whatever I had it, um, to do uh, individually. And especially with, you know, learning how to do different kind of CAD software, um, um, skills and going through um, kind of more generally guided um, problems than like answer A, B, and C. Well, and if I can just chime in, I think some what I hear from students often is that it is in some ways a little more like the way work, the, the kind of work you might take home when you are a person with a job rather than homework that's assigned to you by a teacher. So there might be things you don't get done during the day or there are things that you need to do to advance certain goals or projects that you're working on. And they might actually take you out into the world more than, you know, a sort of a worksheet or a, you know, a reading assignment and some reading questions would do. Sometimes it's a reading assignment and reading questions, but um, but that it does feel like it, on the whole, the assignments, you you usually know why you're doing them or you know that there is a plan for how it connects to what you do that you're probably gonna find out about tomorrow. 
Well, we could go on forever, but uh, there are other sessions to go to. So we want to thank you guys for showing up to this session. I also want to thank uh, Nick Fletcher, who uh, over here, he's our engineer and helps with the podcast. If you guys are interested in the podcast, please go to redesigningschool.org. You can follow us on any social media channel that you like. You could like us on Twitter and almost at 400. Wouldn't that be great, Julia? <laughs> We're internet we celebrities. So anyway, thank you guys for showing up. Thank you. Thank you.